We are in week three of our series, Agents of Faith. And that's about people of faith that Hebrews 11 mentions. And uh, I'll read you a part, the part of Hebrews 11 that applies to us today. Hebrews 11, 32 to 34. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms and ministered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Okay, so we see there that uh, obviously <clears throat> it mentions prophets in that big long list of people. <laughs> And one of those prophets we're going to look at today, he was a mighty man of God, Elijah. And uh, before we kind of get into the passage that we're going to uh, look at today, we kind of need to have a, a contextual kind of setup so you kind of understand what the times were like. And if we start back at, I know this is way far back, at King David's son, Solomon, okay, and, and there, there's a 70-year period between that and what we're going to look at today. And uh, toward the end of Solomon's life, he kind of refused to repent of the sin that he was committing. He had married all these foreign wives, uh, and uh, so he was worshiping their gods too, and it was living wickedly. And so after his death, his son, who had been raised in all of that, uh, because of his wickedness also, the kingdom split right away. Uh, after Solomon's death, ten tribes becoming Israel, one tribe becoming Judah. God chose Jeroboam, who was not the son of Solomon, to be the king over Israel, over those ten tribes. And then Rehoboam, Solomon's son, was the king over Judah. And there was constant warfare during Jeroboam's reign, you know, with Israel. He began to compromise in what he had been commanded to do. He did not walk in the ways of God, and he set up high places of wickedness, meaning he put up idols up there and things up there for other gods. He established a false priesthood. He made golden calves for them to worship, which kind of takes you way back hundreds of years earlier to the uh, Israelites as they left Egypt, right? He ordained himself. He's a king. He ordains himself as a priest of those high places. So what you have with Jeroboam is this false anointing and this false religious system. <clears throat> and all of this was based on fear, obviously. He, he was fearful that he was going to lose the people, so he thought, I'm just going to give them all the stuff they want, and they'll follow me. Well, after 18 years, his son Nadab took the throne for only two years, and he was walking in his father's way, meaning he was wicked also. And one of his subjects, Basha, uh, killed him and then took the throne. And for 24 years, this man ruled, and he was also very evil. And when he died, when Basha died, his son Elah reigned for two years. And then kind of a repeat of what happened before, Zimri, one of his subjects, killed him and proclaimed himself as king. And this guy reigned for seven days, and then the people rose up against him and proclaimed that the captain of the army, Omri, should be king instead of uh, Zimri. So it tells us about Omri in 1 Kings 16 that he also walked in the ways of Jeroboam and did evil in the eyes of the Lord and even worse than all who were before him. So it's getting pretty bad, would you say? He reigned for 22 years and then his son Ahab became king. So in 1 Kings 16.33 
It says, Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. So it is really evil in the land right now of uh, Israel. Ahab was an evil man, and he married an evil woman. Those of you who have uh, read about him before know his wife's name was Jezebel. And her father was a priest and king. He was not only the king of the land, but he was a priest of this false god Baal. So any children that obviously were raised in this household would have been raised in this false religious system and taught the same passion for the evil gods that he worshipped. And the worst part about this stuff is that it involved the sacrifice of the firstborn child. An evil, immoral, idolatrous system. So Ahab marries this woman, Jezebel, and she systematically then tries to kill off anything to do with the one true God. She didn't want anything of that. And everything she does tries to frustrate the plans and the purposes of God. So they have all this evil in the land beginning with uh, the many years of Solomon's reign where it was getting worse and worse, and then another 70 years up to Ahab. Several generations now in Israel have been raised to not know God. What they know is evil, evil worship, evil practices, immorality, a godless society. And in the middle of all of this, though, there are still some people following the Lord God who do not want to follow the false gods of Baal, who are staying strong in their faith. A faithful remnant is what that's called in the Bible many times. And there are some in with that remnant that are prophets of God, and one of whom is Elijah. So in the Bibles in the rows, if you want to turn to page 335, we're going to be going through uh, 1 Kings 17 and 18, bits here and there of... Uh, things here and so you will want to follow along if you have access to that Bible next to you page 335 okay so we're going to read starting with uh, 17 verses 1 through 5 now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab as the Lord the God of Israel lives whom I serve there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word then the word of God came to Elijah, Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kirith Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook. I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kirith Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Okay, so this gives us kind of a, a start to what we're going to look at today, Elijah, the prophet of God. Um, that means is when he's a prophet, that means he's proclaiming the word of God to the people. And when he would see evil, he would pray. And God, as he's praying about this, gave him the word to speak to leadership that there's not going to be any rain for three years. So, And he's supposed to go tell them this. So how do you think he felt? This is a question for all of us. How do you think he felt going to the king to tell him, hey, by the way, you're so evil, and the people are so evil, there's not going to be any rain for three years. Afraid. Assume he would be killed. Yeah, exactly. That would be an uncomfortable meeting, for sure. <laughs> well, we can be in situations that are difficult, maybe not quite that bad, but... Nonetheless, difficult situations for us that require courage. 
where we can know that God, though, is going to give us the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish what he's calling us to do. And at first, when he goes to this King Ahab, the king's probably thinking, there's just some old man here talking trash. I, you know, and he let Elijah go. He lets him leave. After he tells him this heavy-duty thing, he lets him go. And it seems that Elijah was out of his sight then for the next three years. In James 5, verses 17 and 18, it talks a little bit about this. It says in the New Good News translation, Elijah was the same kind of person as we are. Oh, good. He prayed earnestly that there would be no rain, and no rain fell on the land for three and a half years. And then once again he prayed, and the sky poured out its rain, and the earth produced its crops. Elijah was a follower of God, but this tells us he was just like us. There were, he wasn't a superhero. He was... Uh, he was a proclaimer of the word of God, but it doesn't say he was some like super dude about doing that either. He was just a man who followed God and did what God told him to do, which is encouraging to me, and I hope it's encouraging to you too, to know that we can pray powerful prayers too, right? It doesn't say that he, he only guys like Elijah had it. It says he was a man like us. We too can pray powerful prayers. God wants to um, honor our prayers and answer them when we pray his word over a situation. So for three years, no rain, no crops, water and food sources dry up. So what do you think um, was going on here? Why didn't it rain? He prayed, Elijah prayed, and it stopped raining because the, so the king's heart would change. Okay, any other reasons why it would not rain? God's judgment. He was giving the people time to repent. Yeah, there's a scriptural reason for this in Deuteronomy 28.15, which is where the Lord gave the... Uh, people of Israel, before they went into the promised land, he gave them all of this. He said, this is what will happen when you follow me, and this is what will happen if you don't. In uh, 28.15 it says, however, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I'm giving you today, all these curses will come on you and will overtake you. Then jump down to 22, the Lord will strike you with wasting disease with fever and inflammation, with scorching heat and drought, with blight and mildew, which will plague you until you perish. The sky over your head will be bronze, the ground beneath you iron. The Lord will turn the rain of your country into dust and powder, and it will come from the skies until you are destroyed. So God said, there's these things that I have put in motion. When you follow me and you follow my word, blessings, victory, all these wonderful things will happen. You're the head and not the tail. Remember that portion if you've read it before. He's saying you will go out and fight battles and you will be victorious. What God says in his word will come to pass. But then there's also the part that says if you don't follow me, this will happen. The sin in the lives of the people of Israel had allowed the curses that God said would fall on them when they did not follow him to come into play. Elijah was just that person. He wasn't any, anybody 
super great. He was just the person who got assigned the task of delivering God's message to Ahab. When we do not do what God's word says we should do, we're open to the attacks of the enemy or the devil, right, against us. There's also this law of sowing and reaping that God says, and that's if we sow sin, we will reap destruction. According to the word of God, remember when we were studying Galatians in Galatians 6, 8, whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap destruction. I mean, will reap eternal life, right? right. <laughs> there's a difference. If we sow to the flesh, if we are sinful, there's destruction ahead. If we sow to please the spirit, meaning we're following Jesus Christ, we are doing what his word says, we are following the things God puts on our heart to do, then we have eternal life. So during this time, God has been providing for Elijah. As we read, he was by the brook and the ravens, he, the birds brought him food. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't really be excited about eating something the bird dropped in front of me. But hey, if you're going to starve otherwise, you probably would eat it. And so God took care of him and brought him food, and there was water there for him to uh, drink. And then after three years have gone by, and things are really critical right now. I mean, the king's been out looking for uh, him and can't find him because he realizes this guy said it wasn't going to rain. Where is that guy? Let me get him back. And so um, God speaks to Elijah, and he tells him to go back and talk to Ahab. So let's Read um, in 1 Kings 18, verses 1 through 6. After a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria, and Ahab had summoned Obadiah, his palace administrator. Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. While Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, fifty in each, and supplied them with food and water. Ahab had said to Obadiah, Go through the land to all the springs and valleys. Maybe we can find some grass to keep the horses and mules alive so we will not have to kill any of our animals. So they divided the land they were to cover, Ahab going in one direction and Obadiah in another. So you, we have here uh, what's going on in the land. And then if we, had, if we read 7 to 15, which we're going to jump over, it tells us that Elijah knows he's sent by God, so he goes to find Ahab and talk to him, to meet with him. And on the way, he meets Obadiah, who is genuinely scared for his life when he sees Ahab. He's like, oh, no. Apparently, the people have been looking for Elijah and couldn't find him. And Obadiah is like, if you disappear again, I fear for my life. So Elijah says, don't worry, and he goes ahead and, and uh, gives a directive to um, Ahab and says, bring all the prophets of Baal and meet me on the top of Mount Carmel. So Mount Carmel was one of those high places where they had erected all of this junk to the false gods. And Elijah's taken the people, though, to a place that used to have an altar to the Lord God, but it's been neglected and knocked down. So let's read then verses 20. To 24. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. 
But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves. And let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you, prophets of Baal, call on the name of, the, of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Okay, so in this part, we see that Elijah confronts the people with their spiritual condition. And the people don't say anything. They don't, they don't know what to answer because they aren't following God. They don't know God. And so when he says, what are you going to choose? They're like, well, I don't really know. I, I only know this one. So in this passage, as we're reading through, as we're looking at this account, we see there's several things that Elijah does or, or things that we can learn from Elijah that show us how we should respond in the middle of a tough situation. In other words, how to walk in spiritual authority. So what are some of the things that we feel in the middle of problems in our life? What are some of the things you feel when you're going through a tough time, when you're going through a problem? Anxiety. Anxiety. Sad. Sad. Yeah. Sometimes feel alone, yeah. Um, when, and that's, that's really what our first point is all about. Um, how to walk in spiritual authority in the middle of a tough situation. The first thing is to know you are not alone. Uh, one of the principles of walking in spiritual authority is know that the enemy is going to try and isolate you, try to make you feel like you're all alone. I mean, Elijah says, I'm the only one left. I'm the only prophet left. Is that right? No, there's like a hundred others for sure that we know of that Obadiah hidden caves. He's not the only one. He's maybe the only one where he's been, but he's not the only one. So the enemy tries to make you feel isolated. And because of the evil in the land, the power of the enemy was coming against uh, the people of God. There, there were lies, deception, spiritual attack. And when we are trying to walk and follow what God's saying, when we're trying to walk in victory, uh, the enemy's going to tell you, you can't do that. Uh, it's only you, and you're not enough. Or everyone's against you. And so this is a tactic of the enemy, and what we need to know is what God's word says, and that is we are not alone. Uh, God is all-powerful, so God plus any number wins, right? <laughs> I mean, one man, one woman can really make a difference. Elijah prayed and it stopped raining for over three years. That's huge. That's just one guy. God plus anyone makes a huge difference. And then there's examples in the Old Testament about how Abraham took 318 men and went after an army of at least 50,000 troops to get Lot back and won. That's crazy. That's because God plus any number wins. God is with us. We can be victorious. And there's others who are standing strong as well. We're not alone. And that's one of the reasons why we need to come together as a body of Christ to encourage each other. It lets us know we're not alone. The enemy would like you to stay watching at your home every Sunday because you're isolated. It's like watching TV, you know. Uh, what you need is to come and be part of a body of Christ so that you get the encouragement, the prayer, the the feeling of, I'm not alone in this. These are my spiritual family around me. 
So God, when he is with us, we can be victorious. We are not alone. And in verse 4, it said that Obadiah had hidden a 100 other prophets, like I said. And so there's always things we may not see that God knows. And so we can know we are not alone. One of the things we need to do when we feel alone, though, because sometimes you do, right? Like maybe you're at work and you feel like, man, I, I just feel like I'm all alone in this. And what do we do? We cry out to the Lord. Ask him to help us. So Elijah then asked them to get set for a spiritual battle, fought between Baal and the Lord God. So everyone gets two bulls. There's two altars. They all get a bull. They get a, uh, an altar, fuel, the wood, and call in the name of, of their gods. And Elijah says, you guys go first. Okay, so then what happens? Let's go to verse 25 through 29. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first. Since there are so many of you, call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given to them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted, but there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until the blood flowed. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice, but there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. So Elijah gave them the option to go first. They do what they agree to do from morning to the time of the evening sacrifice, which is about 3 p.m. So all day long they've been doing this, carrying on, calling on their God, shouting, dancing, cutting themselves, all with no result. And that's the second point of how to walk in victory is to call on the Lord God for help. So why is it important to pray to God when we're in a tough situation to call on him? He makes a way when there is no way. He has the answer. He knows best. Yeah. He's got answers we don't have. Yeah. And when we call on him, he will show us what to do, and he will give us his power to be able to get through it and operate according to his will. So all of this going on with these prophets of Baal, all this religious fervor of the false priests made no difference. Nothing happened. And what that shows is that false anointing and false practices do not bring godly results. Or in other words, any calling out to anything, looking to anything other than God for the solution does not bring results, godly results. If we're truly doing what God's showing us to do, there's going to be results that honor and glorify him. But when we're following our own agenda, like these guys were, disobeying God, making ourselves and our wishes our goal, which we can do. We can get caught up in our own stuff, you know. And uh, then we make our ambitions the most important thing. It's like the, our ambitions become our God. We put ourselves, when we do that, into that system of Baal, into that system of false gods. Anything, even things we might think are good things, anything that's exalted above God, and what he requires of us 
that becomes sin in our life. We strive and call out for things, and it doesn't produce the results that are godly and honor him if it's not of God, and it leads us to no good thing. Jesus talked about this. In Mark 8, 36, he said, What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? God's anointed you to follow him, to do the things he set before you, to make him first in your life, to obey his commands. And the result of that, of doing all that, is eternity with him. He will bring it to pass. Well, I know you want to know what happens next, so let's go to verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took twelve stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seahs of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars, jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. So Elijah repairs the altar, the place where man and God met. That, was the, that showed that was a place of sacrifice, a place of surrender. And there are 12 stones that symbolize the tribes of Israel, the people who were descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the people who were living in evil now and needed to repent and come back to a personal relationship with God. So why did Elijah feel like he had to repair the altar and not just build a new one or offer it somewhere else? Why did he have to repair the altar? Why was that so important? A proper way to do things, a symbolic way to do things, coming back to God? Yeah, there, that was the place where God had asked them to, to do it. Yeah, a place to do things. Symbolic of rebuilding them personally. Yeah. Uh, when we're out of a relationship with God, we need to come and meet with him to get back into the things that develop our relationship with God, that help us to get to know him better. 
to surrender those things that are in the way of us knowing him, to turn them over to Jesus Christ. And Elijah, this is part of repairing that relationship with God for the people. And he prepares the sacrifice. And just so they know, it's not spontaneous combustion or a trick. He takes four large jars of water and pours it over the sacrifice. Four large jars. I mean, you know, big jars of water. Four of them. And then he says, do it again and do it again. So in the total, there's been 12 large jars of water. It is soaked. The sacrifice is soaked. The stones have water all over them. The wood is soaked. And it, the water even fills the trench that he dug around the bottom. And then he prays. And the reason he was able to pray powerfully and expect results was because he prayed in private first. That's something we need to remember, that prayer in private gives you power in public situations. We need to pray in those times that we're alone with God to be able then to, to think that we can be victorious in those times when we're out in tough situations. He prays for three things. He prays first that the people would know that God is God alone in Israel. And secondly, he prays that the people would know that he is the servant of God, which would be important because there's all these false priests all over. He's saying, I am a servant of God. Help the people know that I am your servant. So they have someone they can look to, can turn to for um, spiritual leadership. And that they would, third thing was that they would know the Lord was turning the people's hearts back to God. That they would recognize this, they would sense this, that their hearts needed to turn back to God. And then the fire of God fell. And in that passage, did you catch, it burned up the sacrifice. It burned up the wood. The stones and the soil were burned up. This is a hot fire. It licked up the water in the trench. Everything. And when we surrender all the pieces of our life to God, he can move supernaturally in our life. He takes the things of our sacrifice and uses them to his glory. This was a time when God's glory was revealed by the fire falling on the sacrifice and consuming it. That fire of God falling represents that presence and power of God that fell in that place and drew the people back to him. I pray that the fire of God falls in this place every Sunday. That God accepts our sacrifice of praise and worship and moves miraculously here in South Oaks. What I'm saying is I pray that the power and presence of God falls in this place every time we are together and he receives our praise and our worship and he draws us close to him. And that we would say with those people of Israel, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. But more than that, I pray that that presence and power of God falls on you in your times of worship and in your times before him in your home. That God moves supernaturally in your life. That God does miraculous things through you every day. That he answers your prayers for healing, for restoration, for salvation in the lives of those around you. Your time praying in private in your prayer closet, as people call it a prayer closet. It can be at your kitchen table, wherever it is you're praying. 
You need to pray in those private times for powerful results in public when you pray for others and with others. In tough times, we need to know we are not alone. And we need to repair our relationship with God by calling on the name of the Lord. And third, remove any influences of evil from your life. Remove any evil influences from your life. Let's read on 1 Kings 18, 40 to 41. Then Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them. And Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered them there. And Elijah said to Ahab, go, eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. Let's stop there. Um, so removing evil influences. The prophets of Baal had to be removed. They could not be allowed to stay in the same place as the prophets of God. If the people were to follow God, they had to be gone. When we are in a situation that is tough and we're wondering why we're not having victory, we need to remove all of the distractions, all of the evil influences from our life. You can't have one foot in each camp, one in sin, one in salvation. God does not honor that kind of lifestyle. If you're having trouble with an area of sin, don't go there anymore. <laughs> don't have those things in your life. God will show you how to be victorious over it. Pray and ask God to help you to break agreement and fellowship with that area of sin, to submit it to the blood of the cross of Jesus Christ, to ask him to wash that sinfulness off of you and to submit it to the blood of the cross of Jesus. Don't do it anymore. Sometimes there can be a generational influence or you need inner healing, whatever that is. If you need to get beyond those things you're struggling with to get victory we have Elijah house here at this church where we pray with you and um, meet with you to pray through those things and sometimes maybe more than one meeting right sometimes you need to go through several times but what you want to do is pray and ask God for healing pray and ask God for victory in those areas so it could be that that you need to do or maybe it's a place you need to stop going a person you need to stop seeing a practice or behavior you need to quit and ask God to help you to get that out of your life. It's true, what we focus on, we become like. So anything that's not right in your life, you need to remove it out of there. Elijah goes from there to pray for the rain to come and he tells Ahab, there's a sound of a heavy rain. Well, right then it wasn't raining at all and apparently not even a cloud in the sky. But in the spirit, Elijah heard what God was about to do. And he still prays. He prays it into being. God reveals it to him, but he still has to pray and ask God to bring it to pass. Let's read verses 42 to 46. So Ahab went off to eat and drink. He did what Elijah said, go do. But Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. There's nothing there, he said. Seven times, Elijah said, go back. The seventh time, the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose. A heavy rain started falling and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. 
the power of the Lord came on Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. That's some supernatural power. <laughs> but here's the thing. We can pray with confidence, too, for the things that God reveals to us. We can see the things that are in the future through the revelation of God and through his word. And we can pray for them with confidence, knowing that God is going to do it. A question for us all to think about right now is, and this is not a group question, this is personal between you and God. Are there areas of your life that you need to turn over to him? Are there areas like these people who came to Mount Carmel who were living in sin and their lives were dry and lifeless spiritually? Do you have something like that about your life that you need to turn over to the Lord and ask him to touch that area of your life and bring it back to life? In Ezekiel 37, Ezekiel saw dry bones in the valley. And the word of God told him to prophesy to the bones and tell them to hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. And they did and they became a mighty army. To those areas of your life that need God's touch, prophesy God's word to them and ask that the breath of God will come on it, that area, that his fire will fall on your sacrifice of surrender and that you will come to life spiritually. When we have a revelation from God of what he wants to do in our lives, we will see him move spiritually, supernaturally, to accomplish his will in us. Would you stand as we close? Just ask that everyone just bow their heads. If you're in a tough or difficult time and you're not feeling very victorious right now, but you say, I want to walk in victory, I want a breakthrough, you want to pray with confidence to God for that victory, that breakthrough, to know you're not alone, that God has you. If you want to walk in that victory, raise your hand. Thank you. If you need to repair your relationship with God to identify where it has broken down, to call upon the name of the Lord and ask Jesus Christ to get you to where you should be, to bring his breath, his fire on you, to bring you back into relationship with him, just raise your hand. Thank you. Lord God, we thank you for this example of, of someone who could walk in victory because he spent time with you. He listened to you, Lord. He, he read your word. He knew what you were wanting to do because he prayed and spent time to listen to what God was telling him. Lord God, I thank you that he's not just some super guy, but he had that great relationship with you. And Lord, we can too. When we lay down the things that are not of you, when we lay down the things you aren't calling us to, when we follow you and do what your word says, Lord God, I pray that we would become people like Elijah who would pray powerful prayers, who would know we are not alone, that we would call upon the name of the Lord, and Lord, that we would see what you are about to do, and that we would honor and glorify you by how we live our lives. Father, I pray that we would remove anything of distraction, anything of sin from our lives so we can really focus on what you have for us. Lord, help us to be examples of what it means to follow Jesus Christ in our jobs. 
Help us to make good decisions and, and help us to say things that are honoring and glorifying to you. Lord, I pray that we would uh, live lives that honor and glorify you with our family, with our neighbors. Lord, that people would look at us and say, that person must be a Christian. I think they are following the Lord God. How do I do that? Lord God, I pray that you would bring people to Christ through our lives. Lord, that we would be that example, like Elijah, of what it means to follow Jesus. And Father, I pray that uh, as we surrender our lives to the Lord God, that you would use us in mighty and powerful ways. Father, I pray for this week, Lord, that as we meet with you, Lord, that your presence would fall on us. Lord, in this church, that your presence would be powerful in this place. That as we worship you and as we see what your word says, as we say, yes, Lord, to you, Father, I pray that the power and presence of God would fill this place. Father, that people would be healed, that they would be restored, that your word would be uh, powerful in this place. In the name of Jesus Christ. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.